Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, Engineering Your Invisalign Treatment Plan to Conquer a Wide Variety of Cases, with Dr. Willa DeAnne. You will earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificate at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor's side account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please know you're able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar, you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions, which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance if we're unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today on the Education tab of your Invisalign doctor's site, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask the Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Willie Dayan. Dr. Willie Dayan reached the level of Invisalign Elite Provider in 2005 and has been treating Invisalign patients since 2000. In addition to his full-time private practice in orthodontics, he's a guest lecturer at the University of Toronto Department of Orthodontics, the Toronto Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, the Ontario Dental Association, and the Alpha Omega Dental Fraternity. Dr. Dayan holds a DDS degree and diploma in orthodontics from the University of Toronto. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Dayan. Dr. Dayan, you may have the floor. Thank you, David, and thank you, everybody, for attending. Good morning, good afternoon to all of you across the country. I do enjoy so much meeting you in person, but it's nice to be able to share some time over the, over the computer. I must tell you that the statements and ideas that I'm going to present today are exactly the way I use them in my practice. It's not something that uh, you can request specifically for Invisalign. I certainly believe in everything that I'm going to tell you, and I do everything that I'm going to tell you, but it isn't necessarily the company's policy or structure. Engineering your Invisalign treatment plan to conquer a wide variety of cases is my topic. And the first part that we're going to talk about is diagnosis and treatment plan. It still matters. I believe orthodontics is not just about straight teeth. We measure so many different things about our patients when we examine them, their face height, the protrusion of their teeth, do their lips come together at rest. And yes, straight teeth will be a part of it, but we do do what I call comprehensive orthodontic diagnosis. And aligned upper and lower arches is not a treatment plan. As you see all the pictures on the left, these are a variety of sets of teeth that have come into my practice. Of course, the pictures on the right are their final, and their final are all very similar. Class one occlusion, ideal overjet overbite, aligned teeth. But the faces that these teeth sit on are so different when you look at them from the front or look at them from the side. And it's this biological variation that we have to take into account when designing a treatment plan. We do it with orthodontics and so many other appliances that we use, and we should do it with Invisalign too. So we customize our treatment plans and we customize our ClinCheck. So I've always talked that we are the clinicians. We have some fantastic technicians at Invisalign that can help us modify video, and I call that doctor your ClinCheck. Because at the end of the day, we are the doctor with the information. The technician is a great aid to us in making the aligners the shape that we want for the kind of case we're treating. 
So when we are treating and when we are modifying that clean check, let's ask ourselves exactly how are we talking to the teeth. Let's understand the biomechanics of Invisalign. I used to say, think like plastic, feel like a tooth. And my wife often told me, nobody understands what you mean by that. So I started to say, stop watching the video of teeth moving, but think of it as a liner surface is changing. Let's look at some clinical examples of how I view the aligner surfaces changing on the teeth to create a force program for the teeth. We know with our wires that if we take our wire and insert it from the top, and I often interchange the wire with aligner, it's an aligner that inserts from the top. It's going to immediately hit the incisal edges, and if we're putting curve of speed correction in our aligner, the lower anterior teeth will be pushed downwards without any attachments because there's a great purchase point for the aligner to push on the teeth. But it is the side teeth, the premolars, that will lock this aligner onto the teeth so it won't raise upwards. And we realize that it is the attachments on the side teeth that will then cause the curve of speed a level. It's not that the side teeth are moving the most. It's that the side teeth lock the aligner on so the front teeth can be depressed. When we're moving a tooth bodily, a lateral incisor, for example, labially, we know that in braces and wires, we create two points of contact to create a couple and a moment arm upon the tooth so that the root will move labially as the tooth is torqued or moved buckily. If we don't put two purchase points in our aligner, we often see non-tracking. But if we do have two purchase points of pressure, one is the anatomy of the tooth on the lingual and the other is the labial, we can have that tooth track. And the same goes for translating roots medially or distally. We know again that it all depends on the wire in the slot for braces. But in Invisalign, we don't have a wire and we don't have a slot, but we do have surfaces of teeth that will be contacted by aligners. So when I view a clinchac, I view it as a series of arrows pushing on the teeth. So the arrow, for example, on the lower left two, I'm going to be using the distal corner along with the attachment to create a couple upon this tooth that will drive the apex of the lower left tooth distally. However, so often in orthodontics, the order of movement is rotation, level align, and tip and torque at the end. But if I rotate this distal corner lingually too early and lose this arrow, I will only have one arrow pushing on the tooth above the center of resistance, and the tooth will tip unfavorably. So my instructions to the technician are not to move the, link, the distal corner of the lower left two until very late in the clean check, and only after the tooth is finished its correction of its tipping, while that corner is still available, only after that will I allow the technician to level and align the tooth because I wanted to save the distal corner as a push surface for the aligner to push on. If I had rotated this tooth correction first, I would lose that corner. But by keeping that corner out in the vestibule for longer, 
I'm able to expose the appropriate surface of tooth anatomy to create the force system that I need to correct the tooth. So many times we are doctoring our ClinShack to produce the right force system. So when I look at a ClinShack, I no longer see it as red dots on white teeth, but I think of it as force systems and arrows. And this is what we should see in our vision, in our brain of a ClinShack. It's not teeth moving. We're not watching a video of teeth moving. We're watching a video of aligner surfaces changing, and they will have potential pressure points to touch teeth and command them to move. We know how teeth move, and that we put that together to create a proper ClinShack plan. Some, some movements are more difficult than others. For example, separating the roots of these two teeth in a first ClinShack of about 17 aligners didn't work because it didn't have the right force system upon the teeth. I then modified this for a fellow orthodontist somewhere else in a coaching site, and you can see that it did work. So the conclusion never is, I tried that with Invisalign and it doesn't work. The conclusion is more, we should ask ourselves, what do we want to do with Invisalign? And if we create the right force system, we can separate roots. This is a case of mine where I'm going to open up the space between the cuspid and the central for the missing lateral incisor. At the same time, the right side occlusion is all end-to-end -end class two. The left side is also slightly class two. So at the same time that I'm going to be opening up the space inside the ClinShack, the ClinShack itself will create the force system to open the space. And then at the same time, the patient will wear class two elastics to correct the class two malocclusion, just as I would do it with braces. So here's a view of the ClinShack, which we must see as just a wire and a coil opening up the space. It by itself does not correct the class II malocclusion, even if it shows distal movement of the posterior teeth. We know that doesn't happen by wire alone. The most important part of this case for myself is to separate the roots well. So you can see here that on each of these teeth, I have labial and lingual attachments. Each of those attachments is putting two arrows on the tooth, so I have four arrows per tooth. And then I'm making the pontic small to keep the exposed surfaces exposed. So I want to have the plastic touch the interproximal surfaces between the teeth, so I do not put a big, large pontic in that area. It still looks good, but it's not a full pontic size. And so this is, again, viewing the ClinCheck as arrows and thinking, where would I want my arrows to touch the tooth so that I can control the root and open the space? And here you can see excellent clinical space opening between the crowns of the teeth. Of course, I will agree, it's not a hole-in-one, if I can use a golf analogy. It's close, and I'm on the green. I'll be able to refine this, but my first ClinCheck is not to create the perfect set of teeth. It's to create a, it's like your first working wire in orthodontics. You want to get out of the mud, get out of the major problems of the class two, 
and open the space. You can always refine slight movements later with more optimized attachments. And here's the Panorex taken at this time where I'm ready to detail the case with refinement. And you can see what excellent root displacement we had during the treatment so that this was very, very well treated for the first set of aligners. And now we'll be able to take the case to refinement and deal with small vertical discrepancies between the centrals or bringing that lateral further to the clusal plane. But for the most part, we've created a good root separation, which was what our first outing was important. So just like in golf, Tiger Woods doesn't always hit a hole in one, but he does put the ball near, nearer to the green. That's my view of clean check. The first clean check is only to get the case out of the mud. We will then refine and detail it just as we do with orthodontics in other appliance systems. Another view of forces on teeth is in this case here where I'm going to use more curve of speed and more torque on the anteriors so that I can close these spaces without retroclining the teeth and without creating a deep overbite. And so the clincheck looks like an open bite and by max protrusion with extra torque on the teeth, which today, by the way, we would use power ridges as you'll soon see in another case. But the force system is this picture here. When the patient was wearing these aligners, their teeth looked like this. And just like in braces, we would put curve of speed wires and extra torque, so too in ClinCheck, we put curve of speed aligners and extra torque. But we know that the teeth will never fully express what the wires dictate, and we know the teeth will never fully express what the aligners dictate. Now we finally get to the meat and potatoes of this lecture, this presentation, and that is so then taking this information of how we understand biomechanics of Invisalign and how we've always diagnosed and treatment planned our patients in the past, we put that together to be able to treat many varieties of Invisalign cases. And we conquer a wide variety of cases, but it's always about engineering our treatment plans as we do with other orthodontic systems. I'm going to talk about vertical challenges, sagittal challenges, alignment challenges, and then finally even a cuspid impaction case just to show that variety. But I couldn't possibly take us through every single type of orthodontic case in one hour. There, the, our biological variation is too great. Let's talk about vertical challenges in the sense of both deep bites and open bites. And we'll first look at deep bites. And before I can even look at clean checks, I'm going to ask us to look at a couple of patients who've come to my practice. One patient, we would agree, is shorter lower face height, brachycephalic, and I would guess does a lot of clenching of their teeth, if not grinding. Whereas the second patient is much more dolecephalic, long face height, great interlabial gap, even though their teeth may be similar, not exactly the same, of course, we must realize the force system in these two patients is going to be radically different. And that's going to affect our aligners just as it affects our braces. I am sure that in this top patient, we could put a curve of speed wire 
and it would have to work a long time to reduce overbite. Whereas if you put a curve of speed wire into this patient, you'd have an open bite in about one appointment interval. What are some of the tricks we use for deep overbite? Well, we have bite turbos on the lingual of upper incisors that we don't have to put plastic on the teeth, but they do act as removable anterior bite plane in the aligners so that when the patient closes their teeth aligner to aligner, because the lower incisors hit the bumps on the upper incisors, there's a hard occlusal contact at the front and lighter occlusal contact at the back. And this helps a lot in the deep bite cases that have, I might call it minimal overjet and over, uh, deep overbite, but minimal overjet. If we have a case with more overjet, putting the bite turbos on won't help since the teeth are going to miss them at the incisors. And sometimes the teeth bite behind the bite turbos and actually lock it backwards further, which doesn't help the case. In those cases, I like to put cuspid turbos on. Now, we don't really have cuspid turbos in the Invisalign software at this time, but what we can do is put a horizontal rectangular attachment on the lingual of the upper cuspid. We don't have to put plastic in this attachment on the tooth. The attachment is not really to put an attachment on the tooth. The reason I put the attachment there is to create a ledge in the aligner, but then when the patient bites aligner to aligner, they're going to contact that ledge and again, help open the bite to create higher, harder contact at the front of the mouth and lighter contact at the back. Because as we know, on a, just a straight occlusion, if you put two aligners in someone's mouth, the first teeth they're going to touch are the back teeth. And this is what we want to avoid in deep overbite correction. Now, here is an adult with a very, very deep bite. And we are we look at her facial balance and see that it is not brachycephalic. She has excess gum tissue display on smile. She has a good interlabial gap. And so I feel this is an excellent Invisalign candidate for top and bottom Invisalign and leveling of her arch through Invisalign. You can see that the front teeth do not need attachments. It is the side teeth that need strong horizontal retentive attachments to create the intrusion at the front of the mouth. Again, I'm over-treating in the ClinCheck, just as I would over-treat in braces. And through that system of aligners, this is how the patient came in at age 36 of 38 aligners. Now, I did like the overbite at this point, but I did see the small posterior open bite that is associated with biting on aligners for about a year and a quarter. So what I did is cut the last two aligners as four to four aligners so that I cut off all the back teeth and I let her wear the last two aligners almost like an anterior bite plane where the back teeth are allowed to re-erupt and then four weeks later the patient had contact in the back with a good overbite in the front, and we were finished. Even if during those four aligners, there is a small amount of rotation of one of the bicuspids to then accomplish 
we can do that in refinement. So again, the first clean check is not always to hit a hole in one. If you get it, fantastic. The first clean check is to get out of the mud, which in this case was the very, very deep anterior overbite, and I can always tidy up a rotation or some other small movement in refinement. In this case, we didn't need to do any of that tidying, but in other cases, I do. So this patient treated in an efficient 11 appointments with no refinement. Again, this teenager has a dolecephalic facial balance. He does not have a short face height. He does have almost 90% anterior overbite. And we want to do a lot of lower incisor intrusion to relieve the overbite. But notice that we do not want to rotate the mandible down and back with any kind of anterior bite plane. So this is the advantage of Invisalign is that it is a very good vertically controlled appliance. It doesn't open up face height the way braces often do. Now, the first ClinCheck that came back to me from Align requires modification, and let me show you some examples of that. You'll notice there are optimized attachments on some posterior bicuspids on the left side. The right side has no attachment. The overbite is corrected, but not overcorrected. And you'll also notice that the two upper centrals level with the laterals by intruding. But if these two upper centrals resist intrusion, the first place the aligner is going to slip off as these two upper centrals resist intrusion is going to be the upper left lateral because it is both turning, twisting. It itself is not intruding or extruding in the clean check. But from the forces on the liners on a very triangular-shaped lateral, it will feel some intrusive forces. And we know we'd like an attachment on that lateral to keep a grip of that tooth as it turns. In addition, we could benefit from an attachment on the upper left lateral to make sure that the two centrals intrude. The upper right lateral already has a retentive attachment as the software put it on due to some small amount of extrusion of that upper right lateral. So my modification included adding an attachment on the upper left lateral and adding stronger horizontal retentive attachments on the bicuspid on both sides so that I could level the curve of speed with more lower incisor intrusion. So you can see the end of this check. The teeth have about 5% overbite as opposed to 40% overbite. In the second clean check, we have an attachment on the upper left lateral. And in the second clean check, we also have horizontal retentive attachments that are on the bicuspids on both sides to level that curve of speed. So it's through this doctoring of the clean check that we think of a force system to control heat and the, the case treated very, very well with eight appointments and once again, no refinement, although I was prepared to do refinement, even if it meant one of these bicuspids didn't fully rotate from the horizontal attachments I used, and if I needed, I would now derotate it with an optimized attachment. 
Now, when we look at teeth, we have to recognize the difference. This case came in as, let's say, a friend of the first case. And he, too, has upper centrals that could be intruded to level with the upper laterals. It has a slight class 2 div 2 pattern. And then we could intrude the anterior teeth and create a successful case just as we did with the other one. The difference between these two dentitions is not going to be the tooth. I can certainly treat this right side picture with upper and lower Invisalign. The difference is in the face. The first case is dolecephalic. I would not want to rotate that mandible any further down. In the second case, it's a shorter lower face height with lip redundancy and this mandible in my clinic, I would like to rotate down and back and give the patient a greater interlabial gap and do very little, if any, intrusion of the upper incisors and mostly extrusion of some of the side teeth. Now, when we're leveling the lower curve of SPI in this case, I would like very much to use posterior extrusion to let that mandible get a greater face height for this growing patient. Now, I've found no appliance better than braces in all my research of, you know, 20, 25 years of practice that erupts posterior teeth better than a set of braces. Almost all our research shows you apply a set of braces on teeth, put in a leveling wire, and immediately the face height increases. So my treatment plan for this patient is a deep bite correction, but a desire to open the vertical dimension with mandibular posterior eruption. And because I believe braces is better at that, but the patient does want Invisalign, I teach the patient the difference that here I have not even corrected his top teeth yet, but his smile looks better, not because the top teeth are straighter, but because putting in an anterior bite plane on this patient and using lower braces to erupt the posterior teeth on purpose has given this patient a greater face height. And now I will use maxillary Invisalign with some extrusion attachments on the laterals, cuspids, and the first bicuspids to erupt these side teeth. And I will use class two elastics to support the treatment, and thus it's more of an extrusive treatment than an intrusive treatment. And here is the final result for this patient after the Invisalign and the maxilla. And I don't think I could have established this smile change if I had used top and bottom Invisalign and intruded anterior teeth. I would have been amazing at, let's say, controlling the vertical and not opening the face height, but it's the patient that I'm looking to treat, not just the teeth. So although we may get this result in the teeth, I think that in this case, the patient deserved lower braces, upper Invisalign. And so too with this adult, who again, I do want intrusion of the upper anterior teeth, and Invisalign for me is an excellent appliance system to create that absolute intrusion and not erupt the upper posterior teeth. But when I met with the rehabilitative dentist who wanted much more space for restorations on these very worn teeth and an opening 
of the bite and even an opening of the vertical dimensions, we decided on lower braces and upper Invisalign. And you can see as we went along in the case, the upper Invisalign was an excellent arch leveler, but without an extrusion of the posterior teeth, while the braces gave the restorative dentist the room to restore teeth and open the vertical appropriately. And so the patient ends up with a much more level gum line, a slight increase in her face height, which the braces helped very well, restored teeth without damage to her gum tissue. And I call this naturally not extreme makeover. When we come to a new vertical challenge of posterior intrusion, many have discussed over the years in orthodontics that posterior intrusion is one of the more difficult movements. However, Invisalign has a beautiful power to us of being almost like a 24-7 or 22-7 galba client. Whenever this patient will wear her aligners on the top and bottom, she will be biting only on the premolars or maybe on this molar on the right side. These teeth will not feel any extrusion from the reaction force of intruding these molars because the extrusive vector on the premolars will be taken care of by the gelb appliance effect of a posterior bite block of biting on these premolars or on this molar. So when I look at this clinchac and I see horizontal retentive attachments on the bicuspid to intrude the molars, of course, as an orthodontist, I know there's an extrusive vector to these premolars, but I also know when a patient wears the Invisalign aligners, they're going to be biting on these teeth, holding these teeth from extrusion while the pure intrusion of the molars will take place. So this patient was able to get leveling of her upper arch and intrusion of the molars to create space for implants with 20, not 20 plus nine aligners in refinement. So that's a total of about a year and a quarter of treatment with no TAD, no implant. And I call that working smarter, not harder, because the treatment was done on the computer with the knowledge, of course, of the vectors of force that are occurring in the mouth. And then we don't have to work so hard in our clinic but to watch the patient wearing good aligners and create some movements that otherwise are very, very difficult in orthodontics of other appliance systems. Now, if we take that ability to intrude posterior teeth, we can also look at this patient who has a longer face height, and if we think of intruding selected posterior teeth, so that we can have her mandible auto-rotate upwards, we can close the open bite without extruding posterior teeth. And that, I think, is one of the most powerful things I find aligners can do that I've found no other appliance system can do unless I begin placing pads and implants or doing jaw surgery. Now, there's a big difference between intruding all the teeth or selected posterior teeth. So that check that eventually was modified to do this work, it doesn't look pretty. I will agree that when we look at this check, there are marginal ridge discrepancies, 
there is there ends up being a very very deep posterior curve of speed in the maxilla and a deep curve of speed in the mandible and it almost looks excessive and it's not level and that's true because in the first clinchak it looked perfect but it didn't make biomechanical sense we have to make biomechanical sense to these teeth as we talk to them with our aligners now it's of course unto itself as to how to design these selected posterior intrusions. Today we're talking more of a variety of cases, but it is possible. And it is through this posterior intrusion that the patient is able to autorotate her mandibles so that by the time she comes in for a liner 21, where the ClinCheck still shows an opening and we still had about nine more aligners to be working in the mandible, already the patient's open bite is closed. And it's really as if it's time for refinement because you wouldn't want to continue putting posterior intrusion in. So it's almost like the first clinchat, it is excessive in some of the four systems. But just like in golf, where you take your first shot, if the ball is rolling into the forest, in Invisalign, we have the advantage of being able to stop it and then take our second shot with mid-course correction or refinement. And the beauty is that Invisalign at this time allows us to do that with no extra charge, realizing that orthodontics is about taking your shots until you put the ball in the hole. So your first aligners are not to create the hole in one. Your first aligners are to get out of the mud of the posterior open bite, create some alignment in a careful way that you want without extruding anteriors, watch the mandible auto-rotate, and then if you're out of the mud, now take your shot for refinement. So I remove the attachments, and now it's time for refinement. Now it's true I have some marginal ridge discrepancies to tidy up, but certainly this case is more treatable at the level occlusal plane than it is in the first, before we did the first shot. Now when I take a step of this case to examine how it, how it closed, we can see here there's posterior intrusion in both arches, and this is a diagram of the sixes. Remember the sevens on the upper are intruding even more and the lower fives are intruding the most on the lower arch in order to create that curve of speed. There was some lower incisor extrusion because they were the anchorage for some middle teeth intrusion. But at the end of the clincheck, the most important thing is our mandible has auto-rotated to close the open bite. And now in the refinement of about eight aligners, we're able to use mostly optimized attachments, and I call it tidy up the case. So the case is finished, and we've closed that open bite by minimal, well, no extrusion of upper anteriors. There was some extrusion of the lower anteriors, and we could have done even more IPR of the upper right cuspid to bring it in, because it had been living so far out in the vestibule for many years that it's lost some of its gingiva in the years previous. And I've done this posterior intrusion to establish anterior teeth that touch several times over, and over and over we see an improved lip competency of our patients, as if 
they've had maxillary surgery, but they have not. They've had auto-rotation of their mandible by posterior intrusion. And the best way to retain these patients is to give them Vivera retainers, no fixed retainers, so that they can continue biting on plastic in the back of their mouth and create a posterior intrusive vectors as almost medicine against their open bite. So once again, going back to our orthodontic training, we shouldn't retain our deep bite patients the same way we retain our open bite patients. Since we use different force systems to get them to correction, we have to realize their genetics will always want to undo what we've done for them, and we have to tighter our retention just as we customize our treatment plan. But over and over, we're able to close open bites without extruding anterior teeth and making people more gummy than they were before. Now, sometimes you don't have an open bite, but you see a case that if you were to align these teeth, you know that this would turn into an open bite very quickly, and then you have to use those box elastics, and that movement, of course, is so very unstable. And then we bond excessive retainers to teeth just to try to hold that extrusion. So I call many times the dolecephalic slightly bimatched protrusion patient as being the ideal case for Invisalign because that posterior bite block effect can be worked so that the ClinCheck shows a slight posterior open bite being created at the same time as an anterior open bite is created, and we depend on the aligners to create this vertical force system so that we don't extrude any anterior teeth. We actually even intrude them a little bit as we intrude selected posterior teeth to create a bite jump. And then the patient wears 17 total aligners, is treated in seven appointments, and I think has not worn, or I know has not worn any elastics between her teeth, and I feel that the treatment for this patient is actually better with Invisalign than it is with braces that would have been extrusive. So I think in the vertical cases, I've made my point about when I do use some braces on the lower arch and when I can use Invisalign completely. When we get to sagittal challenges in Invisalign or in any orthodontics, we know that class two and class three malocclusions are not corrected by wires alone, and that we do place or we do need to place some interarch forces. Sometimes these might be a headgear, elastics, surgery, Hertz appliance, functional appliances. There's so many different kind of force systems and auxiliaries we use in the mouth to treat cases, but we know that it's not by wire alone. So too, if we see aligner movements that aren't realistic, we have to recognize that. Just as you look at my picture and realize that this set of hair for myself on the right is not realistic, my hair never looked like that, so too I want you to see the class three clincheck correction that we're going to see of this case with a few optimized attachments around the arch as being non-realistic. So you can see the posterior teeth are first distalized in the lower, then premolars are distalized, and then lower anteriors are aligned and distalized. 
So the whole lower arch moved backwards by about two or three millimeters to correct the class three. And you have to ask yourself, what's the anchorage for all this movement? Where are the arrows for all this movement? Are there enough arrows? Is there anchorage? Will the patient wear class three elastics to support this movement? Will the patient wear do jaw surgery to support this movement? Will the patient have a pad at the back? We can think in these dimensions as orthodontists. It's not that this clean check is inappropriate by itself, or it is inappropriate, I should say, by itself, but if added with other techniques, it might work. But if we get tricked, as in this time or a clinician was tricked in thinking that this clean check alone will be able to produce these selected movements, then we're going to probably end up with a class three malocclusion and aligned teeth. So the patient cooperated fabulously. The teeth cooperated very well and aligned in a very nice way. But the patient does still have a class three malocclusion. And it's simply because when the posterior teeth were moved backwards, the anterior teeth moved forward. And then when the anterior teeth were moved backwards, the posterior teeth moved forward. So we all know that at the end of the day, the class three is still there, but the teeth are aligned. But we have to do the math. So for example, when I see a full cusp class two malocclusion in a growing patient, I might use some kind of molar distalization and growth modification of life. I won't tell you what I used here because there's so many ways to do this. It could be a carrier appliance. It could be a Nance button off the fours with a coil to the sixes, or maybe they just wore a cervical headgear really, really well. There are so many different ways to create this maxillary movement and growth modification. I suggest that in our growing patients, we use the same methods we always use. But once we've used those methods, now instead of finishing the case supported by class two or class three elastics, whatever it takes, and alignment of the teeth through braces, I'm going to align the teeth through Invisalign, and I will support this with class two or class three elastics. I'll use power ridges in the front to improve the torque because the torque needs improvement. I have several optimized attachments around the mouth to do certain movements I agree with, and I keep those optimized attachments. And then there's other, there's other attachments that I place on the teeth to be able to create the correct force system, the upright molars, and then I even have a bite jump, a class three bite jump in a class two original case. Again, all of these things mean different things to me in the force system, but I realize that it, the aligners are only a force system to align the teeth in a particular arch and talk to the teeth through arrows and not necessarily correct malocclusion. To look at how the torque worked in this case, we can see here that the first order began by the picture up top. At the end of the first order, the teeth were supposed to look like this, the middle picture. At the end of the first order, clinically, it was like this, you can see in this picture. And then finally, when I took a scan after removing all the attachments at the end of the first order, and I put, took a scan for the ordering the second order, the beginning of the second order is this 
photo here of the scan, and you can see how closely it resembles the first order. So in other words, Invisalign can work if we have the right force system, and we can even put those teeth together in occlusion. The patient didn't wear any elastics to get from here to here because the first stage of their correction with growth modification was so successful. But if we needed class two or class three elastics to support the correction, we would have done that while they were wearing the liners. And so here's the final picture of the patient at the end of refinement. And by mistake, my staff left the aligners on in the final picture so you can see the kind of tracking that the patient had just before the attachments were removed and a Vivero retainer or a Invisalign retainer was delivered. Once again, you can see that in this particular case, the patient had good vertical dimensions. So upper and lower Invisalign was a good treatment plan. We didn't need to increase his face height any more than he was going to have increase with growth. We can also do class two corrections with functional appliances in Invisalign. So again, it's a staged treatment, just like any other staged treatment. After the functional appliance, I left some time for settling. Then I did Invisalign and aligned the teeth. So she only wore 15 aligners after the functional appliance. But again, if a patient comes in and says, I want to be an Invisalign candidate, and we see them as needing a functional appliance first, we need to teach and direct that. Putting her just into Invisalign to align the teeth and then using a force system that we wouldn't agree with isn't really treating. So it's all about being an orthodontist. I use a lot of Invisalign, but first we're orthodontists and we then use a lot of Invisalign. This patient, who even has a longer lower face height, class requires class two correction and has a short ramus with a high angle. Usually I would be worried about these cases because of the vertical forces of the braces, I'd get a down and back rotation of the mandible. Invisalign for me, the way I see it or design it, is that the first set of aligners are just to align the teeth. And there was no IPR in the beginning of the first 21 aligners of this patient. It was just a question of aligning the teeth and not doing any ITR. So the ITR was only put in at the end, as I'll soon speak about, but the beginning was just alignment and arch formation, derotation of upper molars so that we can gain a little bit of correction, and then a bite jump at the end to class one occlusion, which we'll talk about on this picture to the right. So here we have the end-to-end -end occlusion. We put in those nitinol, I call them aligners, to align the teeth. And for the first 21 or so stages, there's no IPR. And the patient in the ClinCheck is still end-to-end. -end. Then at the very end, there's IPR applied to the maxilla to still reduce overjet, and then completely reduce the overjet with a bite jump. What I'm able to do is teach the patient that by wearing aligners, the teeth will straighten, but not reduce overjet. Now, if the patient wears class two elastics, there's a good chance that by the time they get to stage 21, all this overjet will have disappeared and we do not need those aligners of ITR to further camouflage this class two. Because this patient has very long, tall, narrow teeth, 
and I'm not necessarily interested in putting IPR into his case. So I'm able to teach the patient he can save six months off his treatment time, and we don't need to do any IPR if he wears enough elastic. And that's why I treat it with the bite jump. And here is the patient wearing the aligners and the elastics, reducing their overjet in about three months of aligner and elastic wear, because I believe the elastics work even better with aligners due to the lack of any vertical vectors since the patient's constantly biting on the plastic, all horizontal, and I'm able to stretch the elastic from the seven to the three, which I usually don't do in braces on a high angle case. And so I have an even longer stretch and a more horizontal stretch of the elastics than I would with braces, another reason for better and faster success. So this patient had 21 aligners. I did not do the ITR, and then I did four aligners of refinement and 18 aligners with no refinement on the bottom. And at the end of treatment, they still show that slight posterior open bite from the aligner wear, and in a long face type case, I'm going to leave that posterior open bite and let it very slowly settle as the patient weans down on their Rivera wear and wears it less and less. So this is the overjet. One year later, the patient still has minimal overjet, and they did not wear any elastics from stage 15 to 21. So that's a way to treat my class 2 case without even wear elastics for the last three months of the treatment. Other types of class two cases might be bicuspid extractions. Now, every case has a full diagnosis and full options, and surgery was certainly an option here. But you can see that we applied Invisalign and several attachments to create the force system for a bicuspid extraction case. Now, again, most people don't treat their bicuspid extraction cases with only two or three attachments per arch or uh, braces per arch, they know that they have to control the curve of speed, the curve of Wilson, the arch coordination, the gable bends, root controls. So there's a lot of control that is put in a bicuspid extraction case with braces and wires. And so to message these teeth, all of those different force systems, many times we need multiple attachments. But Invisalign can do it because it's a question of having the force system inside the orthodontic mind as to how to design it. And so you can see the progress pictures of this patient going through their aligners until they were finished and had a refinement. And here is her facial pictures through the treatment. She's still somewhat retrognathic, of course, because we didn't fix that. Her nasolabial angle changed very, very slightly and successful alignment and also good parallelism of roots on the side. And this is just the refinement picture from the side. I wasn't even finished at this bottom row. So bicuspid extraction cases are possible and so are surgical cases where the patient has the mandible advanced. So here the alignment is very simple and it's just supporting the patient through aligners and 
I don't put braces on every tooth, but just selected teeth, and they keep wearing the aligners, and the aligners are cut around the braces, but there's a way to do it again. So each of these cases can be detailed out further, but again, today we're showing that you can just, you need to customize and engineer your treatment plan to the patient. As an orthodontist, we understand what the patient's needs are, and then it's a question of customizing the aligners to get to that place. But this patient wore no refinement and was able to walk out of surgery after Invisalign arch coordination that looked like this. And I find my surgical cases do get excellent arch fitting as they go to surgery when, when I use aligners for the pre-surgical orthodontics. When we get to class threes, I really find they're upside down in class twos. So some cases I'll treat with lower ITR and class three elastics. And the first aligners to get out of this very, what I might call deep mud of alignment and issues of attachment and crossbite, it's not that I expect to get a hole-in-one. This is not a hole-in-one case. This is a par four case if we want to go to golf. It's not an easy shot. But if I can get out of the mud, so that then I can get my second scan and apply the detailing that I should apply, then when I'm finished treatment, I can have a good successful result. And after six months of retention with Vivera, I think it looks even better than the day I finished it. It's 13 appointments on a difficult case. It takes just about two years to complete. But a difficult malocclusion should take about two years to complete in a proper way. Maybe we could do it a little faster with braces or other appliances or surgical orthodontics. Maybe we can even do locodonic orthodontics, and you can do that with Invisalign. It's a question of practicing your orthodontics the way you always did. In this particular case of a class three long face height, I don't want to increase the face height, so I have the advantage of vertical control with Invisalign. But I did feel that because the crossbite here is from all the way across the arch, I wanted to do pre-Invisalign expansion. And I did that with a removable expander, but on another case, I might use a rapid palatal expander. On another case, I'll use a W-arch, a quad helix. Whatever I used to do, I will continue to do. That is up to each orthodontist to decide how they will treat this. But once expanded, we know we expect an open bite. But if we build into our ClinCheck the same kind of vertical control that we built into our open bites, and at the same time use class three elastics and show a bite jump to show the change of the class three elastics that the patient is going to produce, we can even use this ClinCheck to explain to the patient that the aligners themselves will create closed spaces and align the teeth but it is his elastics that will create the correction of the class three to give him a good overjet overbite. Otherwise, his front teeth will just touch end to end and his back teeth won't touch at all. So the patient is motivated to wear the elastics to achieve this result, and they do indeed achieve that result. And in case anybody feels that wearing elastics is harder in Invisalign than it is with braces, it's very much the same. There's a cutout here on the upper sixes and a hook on the lower right, on the lower threes. Here's a patient, another patient, not the same one, 
putting on their elastics in class three, and I don't think that that's any slower or faster than we do it with braces. It's very easy for the patients to learn how to do that. And so this patient is able to successfully correct and get themselves anterior guidance, class one interdigitation through Invisalign and their pre-Invisalign expander with well, we hit a hole in one on a case that maybe should have been a part two or three case, treated in 12 appointments. Four of those appointments are the removable expanded. They only treated with eight Invisalign appointments. Sometimes in class three, I choose to do a lower incisor extraction. Again, the mud here will be paralleling the roots because that is the deepest or most important part of this clean check is for me to concentrate on making sure that we have parallel roots in the extraction site. I can always tidy up a small rotation or uh, in-out alignment issue at the end. And so for this patient, here are the pictures of her tracking through the treatment. And then finally, yes, there was refinement because she was so much class three at the beginning that she still had trauma in the anteriors and no contact so much in the posteriors because we hadn't corrected enough. So we did six aligners of detailing on the lower to retract the lower anterior teeth more with some ICR. So she treated in 11 appointments with 36 plus six on the bottom. When we get the crowding and spacing and alignment changes, it's always about recognizing the force system and creating the right treatment. So once again, all of these cases are cases where I look and say, am I going to move these teeth by tipping them together or am I going to move these teeth with parallel movement? If it's parallel movement, I will need attachments on the teeth. Today there might be optimized attachments that show up on the teeth and that would be good for this treatment. Back when I treated this case, there weren't. But we still treated it successfully and were able to close the space for this patient in a good, successful way. And here's their final pictures. And treated in 10 appointments with 19 plus zero on the bottom and 25 plus six on the top. So it's efficient, effective treatment. With this spacing case, now we have power ridges so unlike that first one where I had to show a lot of curve of speed correction with many attachments on the anterior teeth, now I can use power ridges to get the torque and I'm able to still open the bite up so it's going to be more open in the clincheck than it's going to be in the mouth. And so here's the final result of this patient and you can see that their overbite is a healthy 20% even though the ClinCheck showed it to be 0%, because we know that this patient, as the space is closed, the bite would tend to deepen. So to keep it level, or maybe even make it a little bit less shallow than the 50% it starts, we should have an open bite in our ClinCheck, and that's why this ClinCheck finishes with an anterior open bite. I have no doubt it's not going to fully express. In fact, I know it won't fully express. And so too with the case I showed you earlier with moving the root distally. Again, the case is class one, good skeletal balance, but we have to think as a 
clinician, what are the force systems that are going to be created in the ClinCheck, and where shall I place arrows, and how shall I change the order of movement to create the alignment that I need to create? And if we do that, we get more and more success with our Invisalign because we think outside the ClinCheck, or call it outside the Invisalign box. And so my first choice for patients like this is Invisalign because I don't want to increase their face height. I don't want to make their smile more gummy. I love the vertical control, and I also like the root control for teeth if I doctor my clean chest. And so these are cases that, again, we do not want to increase their face height. We want good root control. We want good arch development. And we use the benefits of Invisalign to treat these patients and I often think treat them better than they would have been treated with braces, which might increase the face height, and then I have to put them in box elastics to erupt their anterior teeth, which will forever and ever relapse. Now, a patient who needs an increase in smile exposure but doesn't have an open bite due to any kind of tongue habit, it's just a, a different occlusal plane that is aiming upwards, but she is good normal face height, I'm able to use optimized attachments to extrude and rotate some difficult upper lateral incisors. So with the new track material, the new material that Invisalign uses, and these optimized attachments, it's a great combination of the two to fit around these attachments, and the patient must learn to massage over their aligners over the bumps so that they get a good grip now, I did add two attachments to the laterals because I felt the lateral root would need a distal tipping, just like in the other cases, and often in alignment, lateral roots do need distal tipping. And so here you can see the fit of the aligners. Here you can see the patient and their progress, and then the final pictures. Now, the patient did have restorations of her small laterals because I didn't want to sacrifice the solid class one occlusion that this patient has down the back. So I had her restore her upper laterals to take care of the Bolton discrepancy that she had by nature. I call that a restorative solution to a restorative problem and not creating new orthodontic problems for patients to avoid bonding. And when we get to very difficult cases where we know even in orthodontics, braces you're going to be doing reposition and bonding because you can't put all the braces in the right place the first, first time. So too with Invisalign. I fully expect a case like this to be doing what I call repositioning or mid-course corrections and braces and so too with Invisalign. I know that I'm in for some mid-course corrections and, and placing attachments on different places, but that doesn't stop me from planning a good Invisalign treatment and I don't have to let each one of these um, orders of ClinCheck run all the way to the end. I only let them run until I know I can do better, and then I take my next shot. So for me, it's three orders to get to a final result with healthier mouth. And we can do this for younger patients before the recession. As this patient here has similar alignment problems, but Thankfully, she's come when she's younger, before recession of her teeth and before root exposure, so that we can put those teeth on the alveolar bone before they experience the recession we saw in the last case. 
And when we get to bicuspid extractions, as I've said, there is a way to order bicuspid extractions and get parallel roots, like here on the upper left and here on the lower right, where a lower right five was removed and the upper left four was removed. So it's not that we can't control roots, but we have to do it carefully. And for severe crowding, like this patient, with the new aligners, the new attachments, and lots of optimized attachments because this was a lot of good natural tooth movement and severe crowding with almost total blockout of the lower right lateral. That's a lot of correction for a set of 40 aligners that the patient is going to wear. Notice that the overbite is overcorrected. But at the end of ClinCheck, it's not so overcorrected in the mouth. Although it did, I did overshoot the overbite, and I have to let that settle in the refinement. But to be in this place in 40 aligners is quite an achievement for severe crowding and rotation. So finally, we get to a cuspid impaction, which many thought is not an Invisalign candidate, but can be an Invisalign candidate if we plan our orthodontics carefully. And so just like any cuspid impaction, I want to take a good view with some 3D scanning so I know where the tooth are. I plan some partial orthodontic treatment with TPAs and maybe a couple of lever arms to bring the tooth down. Once the tooth is down and in the mouth, in this particular case, I did it with those lever arms, I then use a local Essex with a bootstrap elastic to bring the tooth more into play. And then finally, the patient is ready for Invisalign. And so you can see here that here's my ClinCheck with that cuspid that was buried very, very high earlier. And now the patient can wear Invisalign with class two elastics on the right side and bring that tooth into the right place and it's a lot of optimized attachments that the software is helping me with. And so here you can see the progress of this patient. He's almost finished. Yes, I do wish he'd keep better oral hygiene, but he is wearing his aligners and wearing his elastics, and we're just about finished, and I think we're gonna finish without refinement for this difficult case. But of course, the first beginning of the case was orthodontics, and it's the way we were trained to do it, and that is to get a good treatment plan and then later a ClinCheck plan. And so is it Invisalign? Can Invisalign treat a cuspid impaction case? I really believe the question is not the right question. Braces or Invisalign themselves do not treat patients. We're not Invisalignists, we're orthodontists, and we use Invisalign. And so the right question is, if you have a cuspid impaction, are you an Invisalign candidate? And I think you'll agree that cuspid impactions can be Invisalign candidates if we plan them properly. So today what I've gone through is viewing many varieties of patients as Invisalign candidates. First do diagnosis and treatment plan. That is what we got trained at school to do and it still matters. Understand the biomechanics of Invisalign. It's never teeth moving in a video, it's a liner surface is changing that has the potential to put force on teeth. We as orthodontists are the best people to do the math. And then finally, once you've done those two steps, you can see so many, or in fact, in my view, 
all of your cases as Invisalign cases. These are two ways to get in touch with me, my email and my coaching site. I hope you've enjoyed this talk. It's been my pleasure. I thank my family and Invisalign for giving me these opportunities to share with you. I want to thank Dr. Dan again for a great presentation and for all of you for taking time out of your Friday to join us. And we look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thanks very much.